Um, once again, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through uh, 62. We are going to continue to um, focus on this theme of well, several uh, topics and, and themes that I want to continue to address and to focus on and to teach on. The reason for this is because we have to have a firm grasp, a firm understanding and um, regarding the mission, regarding what we are doing why we are doing it, what we're, you know, uh, how exactly to do it, um, who does it. So I really want to answer these questions. And um, and it might sound repetitive in some ways. Some, some of what we talk about will overlap. And, um, <clears throat> and that's because um, to be reminded is what shapes people if you're told something once um, it can be easy for people to forget and just drop it Um, but cultures are formed and cultures make uh, people are what make up cultures but it's people who bring values okay and so when people bring values that's what create a culture it doesn't matter the skin color it matters what exactly those people value and how they express those values. And it's that which makes a culture. And so we as a people, we as a church, must have a biblical culture. And there are churches that have certain cultures. And some a lot of the cultures <coughs> that they have are unbiblical. That's why you have pastors who are comedians behind the pulpit and they joke around like there's people they, they they literally use the bible to entertain people and it's less of god isn't speaking and it's a man who wants to draw a crowd and to keep a crowd and how he does that is he basically becomes a religious clown and um, so that is stemming from a culture that's stemming from values, and those values being preached and taught or modeled is what's creating a culture. So, um, and there's churches that have a culture that is very teaching orientated, and you're going to find uh, their people only having notebooks and pens, right? And, but that's the extent of their ministry. And I'm not I'm not saying that uh, taking notes is bad because I've I've asked that we take have uh, would take notes, but um, but there's no culture that values evangelism, okay? And it's reflective in the way that um, they teach. There, there isn't a continual emphasis of winning people. It, it's more of an in-house church, and and they become basically constipated. Um, there's no movement, and uh, there is no movement outward. They're only digesting, 
and they're becoming obese with their knowledge and there's no flow outward so with that said I want to value I, I value winning people I value evangelism because Jesus Jesus values evangelism amen this is the heart of the Father this is the heart of the Holy Spirit this is the heart of Christ this is what he wants to see um, those who are called to be giving themselves to this isn't an option Remember, there's two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there is a great commission. Right? And that great commission is one of the ways that we express love to humanity. Right? Because if we don't love humanity, we won't tell them that they can be forgiven of every single one of their sins. And that they can be spared from hell. That they can obtain everlasting life. Right? It takes a lot of selfishness to not share this message. And so, with that said, that, that's a preface for why you're going to hear um, discipleship, kingdom advancement, evangelism, uh, and stuff like that repetitively. Now there's going to be different twists on it and different focuses in those broad categories, but it's something that we're going to continue to keep hearing because it has to become our DNA. It has to get ingrained into our DNA so so that when those who surround you and come near you are going to hear you emphasize this and so if they see you always emphasizing prayer, always emphasizing evangelism, always emphasizing discipleship, they're going to know uh, if they if they don't like that, they're not going to spend very much time around you. If they want to obey that, then they're going to gravitate towards you. And so um, Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62 <clears throat> This is what the scriptures read, um, beginning at verse 57. And the title of this passage here from, from verse 57 through 62 of my Bible is The Cost of Following Jesus. And uh, it reads, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, I think it's a bit, a little misleading because it's not just the cost of following Jesus here. <clears throat> um, it's the cost of kingdom advancement. And, and the reason why I say that, because number one, in verse 60... He's telling the person who wants to bury the dead that he is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And number two, 
this comes right before chapter 10, where the Lord, in chapter 10, verse 1, commissions the disciples with the authority that he has. He gives them authority to basically preach the gospel. So, those are two reasons why I don't think it's simply uh, 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 leaving their wicked way of life and coming to the light. It's more than that. It's um, it's kingdom advancement. It, they're enlisting as soldiers, and they're no they are uh, workers for the kingdom of God. That's why he says in verse sixty two, "No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service." In the kingdom of God. And so remember when they follow, not everybody followed him. Even those who believed on him did not necessarily follow him wherever he walked. And, and, and the re, and so in fact, there are many cases where Jesus says, don't follow me. Go back to your own hometown, right? And so, um, it was possible in this time for you to, be to enter into the kingdom and to be a participant of the kingdom and to become a child of God and not physically follow Jesus wherever he walked. Those who physically followed Jesus wherever he went were those who were commissioned for service. And to place a hand on the plow, a plow implies um, work. And so if you're placing your hand on the plow and you're looking back to your old way of life, similar to how Peter was commissioned to fish for men, and if you're if you're placing your hand on the plow of fishing for men and you look back to fishing for fish, then it demonstrates we're unfit. And the reason why we're unfit is because we have reservations. There's better things that we think we could be doing. We would rather be a chemist or we would rather do this or we would rather you know be um to make a lot of money in a different job <coughs> so um what Jesus is teaching here is that we must be fit for for the kingdom right and to be fit for the kingdom well not only just the kingdom but service in the kingdom of God now, if um, <clears throat> you look at chapter 10 of Luke, verse 1, and so wait, let me just comment on this. This requires work. This requires sacrifice. This requires a death to our old ambitions. Um, those who are called to win people to Christ, let me say this, not everybody who becomes a Christian will be a soul winner. It's just simply not true. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist. Not everyone is called to evangelize. It's just not true. We don't see that in the book of Acts. We don't see that in the Gospels. We only see those who have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus who have been or been commissioned by the church to do that. Look at Philip, he was called an evangelist. Look at Stephen, he was sent out. Look at uh, Jesus, look at the apostles. Look at, you know, and the list goes on. They weren't just regular old folk. 
they weren't just Christians who were participating in service uh, and participating in church or doing you know good activities like food drives feeding the poor and stuff like that and that's good but every person has their own respected calling and if we um that's why it says in Ephesians chapter 4 that when Christ ascended on high he gave some to be apostles he gave some to be prophets he gave some to be evangelists if i only give some of what i have that means i did not give all that i have so if he gave some to the church to be pastors then that means not all in the church are pastors amen that means there are only some who do this that doesn't mean that we don't um we don't um shine our light that doesn't mean that we don't do good for humanity but it means this that there there are specialists in the kingdom and those specialists are those who uh, uh minister the word this is why peter and john said it's not meet for us to leave the ministry of the word and prayers to wait tables there are so what does that mean there are christians who can serve tables. It's fitting for them to serve tables because they have not been commissioned to minister the word. So there is a priority in the kingdom. There are services that are of a greater priority than others. And the ministry of the word takes front and center. It is the highest service that one can give themselves to. And so this is why Jesus is stressing uh, so much importance to this and says look if you think you got better things to do as valid as they even seem in the flesh like burying my own father like man can I have a bit of sympathy I got a bit he says very plain and simple if you if you're looking back you're not fit for the king you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God this is serious business and so what I see here in Luke chapter 9 at the end, he's actually discouraging people from even participating because he knows the level of character, sacrifice, and determination is required for this service. Imagine if I became a soldier and I enlisted in the army. And then once I got, once I was uh, play, commissioned, to battle and I have my gun and I'm there firing at the enemy and the enemy starts to fire back and I say you know I kind of enjoyed my home I want to go back and I start running I start retreating I'm unfit right you have to count the cost and so in Luke chapter 10 verse 1 Jesus, uh, the word of the Lord reads, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Notice though, this at the end of chapter 9, we see a discouragement. Look, if, if you got better things to do, go do those things. And then here come in chapter 10, it says, After this, after what? After the Lord pressed them and on, on what they really valued. Then... The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. 
he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. So what we see here is that Jesus commissions them, right? It's a very simple command, but the command was go. And so they didn't have an option at this point to stay. Jesus is giving them their marching orders and is and are telling them, this is your description as laborers in the kingdom. Um, and he says he's sending you out like lambs among wolves. So this is this isn't for the faint of heart. This isn't for the discouraged. This isn't for the the double minded. This is for those who have said, you know what? This is a dangerous thing. This is a costly thing. This is um, I'm going among wolves, so I'm not going to be readily received by everybody. But this is what God wants me to do. There is no looking back. I remember when the Lord first had spoken to me at 17 years of age. And I remember at an altar call, um, I've mentioned this before, but the Lord told me very clearly, you will preach my word. Um, This was before I really knew very much about the gifts. Um, I I didn't know very much about prophecy or anything like that at that time. I hadn't even experienced anybody give a prophetic word. I hadn't seen it just yet. Um, although I did speak in tongues at the time because this was like weeks after I got saved. Um, <coughs> but I heard God very clearly. And I knew in my heart that once I said yes to the call, I'm forsaking a lot of other things that I could have viably done. I could have given myself to. I could have pursued other things, other careers, but the call is a great call, and I'm commanded. Paul says, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We persuade them knowing the terror of the Lord. Why? Because we know that there is a terrible fate that awaits every single soul who doesn't come to faith in Christ. And I have an obligation. There is no, there's no suggestion here. There's no option. The, the fate, it's, we're, we are fated when we are enlisted into the Lord's service, we are fated. And if we don't submit to that call, there are consequences. This is why Paul says, when the Lord had set me apart from my mother's womb, right? The Lord, or in Jeremiah says, I, before you were formed, I knew thee and I sanctified thee to be a prophet unto the nations. So a call isn't something you desire and stepped into. It's something that you have been fated and predestined by God to walk in. And the desires are there 
Or sometimes a desire may not be there, but the Lord confronts you with this and says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. When the time is appropriate. So before 17 years of age, I did not know that the Lord had called me to the ministry of the word. But I was sanctified before I was formed in my mother's womb. I was set apart for this before I was even formed. Even before my mother and father had had the first look at me, God had already called me. That's powerful. So, is there anything? Like, imagine if if there's a competition between, should I follow the ministry (coughs) or should I be a scientist for the rest of my life? Notice on what people are forfeiting when they say no to the call of God. Um, a science, a, a science, scientific organization did not set you apart before your mother's womb. This is a holy call, <clears throat> an important call, a a call that requires everything, but it is nevertheless the most glorious call. Charles Spurgeon said that if the Lord has, and let me replace it with soul winner, if the Lord has called you to be a soul winner, don't stoop down to become a king. So, um, but Jesus is saying, look, the harvest is plentiful. I remember Leonard Ravenhill said, you know, a lot of the uh, ministers today, They're always fishing in the same pond with high-tech equipment. He says they're fishing in a toilet bowl with the high-tech fishing equipment. (laughs) He says when we should be out where the fish really are. And this point was we like to stay in house. And we don't like to go out where the fish are actually located. And and so what happens is, you know... Um, there's a bunch of programs and stuff that churches tried to uh, um, introduce in order to keep people because no one's being added because they're not doing anything to advance the kingdom. But Jesus is actually saying, look, the harvest is plentiful. There is a lot of harvest. And, and in fact, the workers are very few. So why is it that we don't survey all that's available and say, look, there's so much harvest to bring into the barn house. And the barn house is representative of God's house. Let us use this high-tech fishing equipment, so to speak, and begin to go to that harvest. Begin to reap in a harvest. Begin to fish for men. Begin to welcome in the lost sheep. <clears throat> so I, I wanted to, at this moment, uh, ask that we turn to Matthew chapter 9. I want us to see the motivation that Jesus had for winning people. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37. <clears throat> it reads, Jesus went throughout through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So, what do we notice here? Jesus did not uh, tell his uh, disciples to campaign a church. Say, hey, you know, come to our church. We got, um, you know, we're going to have a potluck. Um, He didn't say, hey, you know, come to our church because we're going to have um, a comedian and uh, we're very seeker friendly. No, he actually went where they were. Verse 35, he says he went throughout through all the towns and villages and teaching in their synagogues. So he went to where they were at. He went into uh, the marketplace. So it's it's kind of like <clears throat> um, he didn't expect people to go into you know uh, um, into the church. He ex- he expected his people, his disciples. To go out to where they're at. And so that's why it's very risky. That's why it is. um, A call that requires God's help. And God's wisdom. And God's power. Is because we're. We are interrupting. Their systems. We are interrupting. And infiltrating where they're located. And there are going to be people who receive us. And there will be people who don't. It's like the apostles in the book of Acts when they went to preach and Mark, like Apostle Paul, when he had gone to um, <clears throat> among the Greeks and preached in Mars Hill. He, he went where they were located, where they disputed and debated all these different ideas. So he, he went on their turf. right? Or the slave girl who was practicing divination and, and witchcraft. Uh, he went where they were at. And as a consequence, their idol markets became closed down. Philip went where they were at. So that's how you reach. You got to go into the devil's territory. Right? And so, what were they doing? He says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So the good news is the word euangelion, and it means gospel. So they were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And um, that's where we get the word evangelist. Evangelist comes from the word evangel- uh, um, good news. Um, so that's what we are doing is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Healing every disease. But notice in verse 36, when he saw the crowds. Isn't that what we want? So in one, in the one sense... <clears throat> a lot of these Instagram influencers are bad for wanting the crowds because they they want uh, they want attention. They want to be they want to grow a channel. They're not looking to grow the kingdom. They're looking to grow their channel because they have selfish ambition. Right? There there's nothing wrong if a channel grows. It depends on why you want it to grow. Do you want to actually make disciples? 
or do you just want to um, have this platform and and you're proud of that platform, right? So it's kind of like the disciples who were happy when they cast out demons and Jesus said, don't rejoice in this. Rejoice rather that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. <clears throat> but now, if I rejoice that someone was set free from the demonic, then that's an appropriate reason for me to rejoice. Why? Because someone that I love and care for are set free from the bondage of that wicked one. Rather than, look at me, I'm casting out demons. It's, no, this person is in bondage. And if that person is set free, it's a glorious reason to rejoice. You know, I was watching just recently A.A. Allen, some of the classics. Uh, um, he's an evangelist <clears throat> who used to have the old school tent <clears throat> um, tent meetings. And this poor guy, man, he, he was absolutely harassed and tormented by demons. And when the man had come up, you can he was a grown man, but he sounded utterly terrified. He said, Brother Allen, Brother Allen, help me. It's choking me. You know, and, and he he sounded like a kid terrified for his life. You know, you could hear the terror in his voice. You can you know the the uh, they're oppressed. And A. A. Allen says, You wicked devil, you come out of this man. <laughs> <laughs> and the man was set free, hallelujah. Um, <clears throat> there was another instance where I seen this woman, it was also through A.A. Allen's ministry, hold on, it was also through A.A. Allen's ministry, and a woman brought her husband, and her husband was in a psych ward, was in a mental home, mental house, and poor guy, man, he would strip himself naked, run after cars, and these demons were absolutely terrorizing him, <clears throat> tormenting him, torturing him. And uh, she lost all hope for her husband. But when the man of God, A.A. Allen, came to where they were located, um, she got her husband out of that mental hospital. They could do nothing for him. And she brought him to A.A. Allen. And he, he, you know, he says, he says, you know, he looks at the crowd. How many of you believe he can be set free tonight? And, you know, just with absolute authority says, you wicked devil, you come out of that man. <laughs> and his mind was restored. Hallelujah. Those demons came out and that man was restored and that marriage was restored because that demon had to get out. It was evicted. And that does that not well our our hearts welled up like Jesus when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd harassed no one to set them free no one to liberate them this is what Jesus was motivated by. Is by the, the oppressed people. Yes, there will be people who don't believe. But oh to those who will. <clears throat> who will uh, uh, thank you. 
so much that you had pro, uh, approached them and preached the gospel to them. And the joy that you now have because of your relationship with Christ, they will enjoy. It's, it's worth everything. <clears throat> it is worth so much. Like it says in the Psalms, the life of his soul is costly. The life of a soul is costly. Man, if it was not for the Lord who had mercy on us, we would have been condemned. And what horrifying uh, surprise it would have been if we found ourselves in hell. Right? So this is, this is the motivation Jesus has. And it needs to be our motivation. If I were to tell you, if, if you were, if you had a, 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 a business of jewelry, and I said outside your back house are many, you know, so much diamonds that are that are underneath in jewels and gems, and and you were just absolutely obsessed with diamonds, right? Or you're wanting to be the best jeweler in town. You would be digging that up. But I'm saying, what Jesus is saying, he says, the harvest is plentiful in your backyard, in Germany, in Hungary, in Croatia, in America. The harvest is plentiful even there. But what does it take? It takes work. It takes love for humanity. <clears throat> I want us to turn also real quickly to... Um, I wanted to read actually 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. <clears throat> real quick. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. <clears throat> So Jesus came into the world to what? He came into the world to save sinners. That is the desire that God has for humanity. And then if we look in Luke chapter 15, <clears throat> Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 10, this is what it means that Jesus had compassion on them. Look at, a parable that reflects the heart of the Father, reflects the heart of Jesus. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. See, this is why I don't... Um, okay, so a lot of street preachers... I, I, once again, I want to make it very clear that I'm not against street preaching. <clears throat> I'm against obnoxious self-righteous powerless street preaching because normally what happens is people are repelled 
by that by by self-righteous and and angry preachers and and no one ends up coming around them right but we don't see that this was the result that Jesus had we see tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him now to be fair there were some that didn't right but obviously these were why because Jesus had no, nothing to offer them. Of course not. It was because Jesus had very much to offer them. He healed their sick. He, he brought healing to their hearts. He preached forgiveness. He, he cast out their demons. Who wouldn't want to be around someone like that? <clears throat> That's an answer to many of their problems. Right? We, we get this lopsided story saying... Oh, you know, it's so wicked and, you know, but it's like as if there's no possibility that people still want to hear the gospel. There are. It's just that it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of searching. Seek and you shall find, right? Jesus, the Bible says he came to seek and save that which is lost. Well, in order to save that which is lost, you must first look for it, right? And that searching can be a difficult exploration, a difficult search. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Kind of like the cessationists. Oh, they believe they have gifts today. Who do they think they are? You know, they they always want to mutter and and speak against, you know, or, you know, um, anyways. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what do we note there? Well, she's lighting a lamp. So you need light in order to find that which is hidden in darkness, right? You must be the light. And you must have the light. And you must have the word which is also a light. Psalm 119, David says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We have to have the gospel of light in order to shine on those who are in darkness. Like it says in in, uh, the gospel accounts, Those who sat in darkness shall see a great light. Then number two, you sweep the house and search carefully. So it's not enough that you have the light because you can have the light and be looking in the wrong places. Right? So she sweeps, she searches 
carefully until when? Until she's tired? <laughs> until she's discouraged? Until she gets ridiculed? Until she gets cussed out? Until she sees no results? No, until she finds it. Right? <laughs> but when she does, verse 9, and when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. She doesn't say, at that point, she doesn't say, Man, I don't think the search was well worth it. I think I invested more time than what this coin is worth. No. <laughs> she put a lot of time, but she understands that there this was well worth it. And as a consequence, she rejoiced. <clears throat> and with her friends, they rejoiced. Well, the angels of God began to rejoice too. Even angels in heaven begin to rejoice. Again, verse 10, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So you know what that says? I don't have to have a large crusade in order for heaven to rejoice. All I need to be faithful is what I have been shown. And if one person says, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ today, all of heaven rejoices for that one sinner having found Christ. I know for certain that that person who found Christ is rejoicing. I know when Jesus saved me, I was the happiest man on earth. I had joy in my soul. Christ is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Oh, and the joy. I remember I remember when I was first saved, I was literally skipping through the streets with joy. <laughs> and I remember I remember I was in high school still. And uh <clears throat> the joy that I had just to share Christ with people. I remember on one occasion this guy he asked me for two two dollars. And just, you know, not to really <clears throat> focus too much on my past, but in the past I was very greedy. And um and two dollars, I remember like even a dollar mattered to me because a dollar was enough to buy a blunt wrap to smoke weed. So I mean if I had a dollar, I'm I'm pocketing that. It doesn't matter how little, um, if it was quarters. Or I don't I know you guys don't know what quarters are. But four quarters make up a dollar, and they're coins. And so, um, I remember when he asked me for two dollars, I knew Jesus changed me because I was happy to give it to him. And I was actually thanking God. I said, thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to be light. <laughs> it was a small thing. And people who have, may have advanced in ministry and you know are doing much more than me at that time, may have just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, eh, it's not that big of a deal. But Jesus says that if you give a cup of cold water to the least of my followers, that you shall surely not lose your reward. So, <clears throat> do we have the proper perspective that Jesus has 
to save people. And it's easy to forget. It's easy to look at their wickedness and to say, you know what? Um, I really don't want to do this anymore. Or, or begin to think, you know, that they're not worthy of the gospel. And here, here's the truth. Here's the reality. They are not. They're not worthy of the gospel. They are unworthy. And that's the whole point. Is that Jesus wants us to reach those who are unworthy. Like it says, um, if you turn real quick to Titus chapter 3. Titus... um, I can find it. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So we see there that we once too were foolish. We were being deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Right? So, but don't we get uh, don't we get forgetful? Don't we get forgetful that you know we we once were enslaved. At one time in our lives, we were without Christ, and and so we should have that perspective when preaching the gospel to people. That hey, I I once was here. You know. I <clears throat> sometimes I have to check myself because I I love my space. I love just getting into prayer, hearing worship music, you know, and having cleanliness around me, no worldliness and stuff like that. And obviously we need to have that in our homes. But, you know, sometimes I get my heart a little upset because I live around a bunch of sinners. And they're, you know, they're playing their their loud rap music or they're smoking weed. I smell weed out there. I'm seeing drug sales and all this stuff. And and so I, I tend to get a bit upset. But, hey, I, I too was there. And, and I, I, we, having come out of darkness, should know. I didn't know. We didn't know at that time. Yes, we will, they will still be held accountable to their sin, 
But nevertheless, they're being oppressed by demons. They're deceived. They're in darkness. Like I was listening to a um, <clears throat> a song, no, not a song, a testimony yesterday. Some guy was into like metal and stuff like that, like hard rock music and stuff. And um, and I, I live reading the Bible, you know, godly content, so I forget, like, I, I sometimes forget how to relate. But when I begin to reminisce and I see like, you know what, man, I, I was there at one time um, listening to music that had murder in it, rap music that spoke about shooting and living in malice, um, being in darkness, being an addict, you know, thieving off of people, violence, and, you know, it, it it's... It puts us in a proper perspective of, hey, I was just like that. And, but God, and I didn't come to Christ because I was such a good person. Rather the opposite. Jesus decided to have mercy on me. Right? That's what it is. It's a gospel of mercy. It's a gospel of grace. So it's not a gospel that seeks, as Jesus was saying here, it's not a gospel for the already saved. You know, the, the, those who have no need of repentance are just that, those who have no need of repentance. But, <clears throat> um, let me, um, does that make sense? Amen. Because if we look purely from the natural eyes, we're going to avoid, we, we will avoid um, telling people like that. Because, hey, it's, it's not, it's not uh, very delightful. But Jesus never said that it's supposed to be a delightful thing the delight comes when you actually find success and results in seeing people come to faith. The delight isn't necessarily preaching the faith as much as it is seeing the people come to faith. Right? That's where the delight comes. That's where the joy is found. <clears throat> so, I wanted to turn to Matthew chapter 13 real quick chapter 13 verse 18 verse 18 through 23 but you know it's 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 healthy to revisit who we used to be not to go down to memory lane so that we can you know remember uh fleshly things so that we can get in the flesh, but we can realize, man, who I am today versus who I used to be, this is this is indicative of the great mercy of God. Because sometimes, too, we can become very discouraged because we're not seeing as much results as we would like to in our Christian faith. But when we see the vast difference from who Christ has made us to be, Versus who we used to be. 
we see the immense change. We see that we're not the same anymore. That he has taken us from that old way of life. <clears throat> and so the the scriptures read, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path, the seed falling um, on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> the reason why I read this passage here in Matthew chapter 13 is because we have a description of what sort of results we are expectant to see. You're going to have people who believe, but yet for a little while, right? You're going to have those who are choked out by the worries and the cares of this life. Um, you're going to have those um, who don't understand it at all because the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. Or they may not understand because you're just that poor at communicating. <laughs> I remember uh, just recently I commented on a friend a brother's uh, post on Facebook, and he says, we need to say repent or perish. And um, I'm like, yes, but I said, is there a better way that you can say that? And he said, no, I'm just sticking to the Bible. Um, and I, I addressed it, I said, bro, you're, you know, I, I didn't say anything more at that point because if people are not open and don't ask, like, well, what do you mean? Can you explain to me um, <clears throat> why you're asking me that question. Is there some sort of insight that you would like to lend me? If they're not of that heart, it's probably because they think they know it all. So, um, <clears throat> but in my mind, I was thinking, you know, that sort of approach is cookie cutter. They, they it, It's just this, um, you know, what, what does a cookie cutter do? It just replicates cookies after the exact same measurement and it's so black or white, and it's it's um the reason why I say that is because you must understand the word repent in the original Greek simply means change your mind. And so when you're saying repent to and I'm not saying that there isn't an appropriate place to say that, but the vast majority of sinners are not going to know what you mean by that. Or if you say you must die to your flesh. They're not going to understand what you mean. So you either at that point say, I'm going to just literally say this. Or I'm going to communicate the thought behind what the New Testament writers intended to communicate when they said the word repent. It was this. Hey, 
Change your mind about the kingdom that you're under. Change your mind about the way that you're living. And accept the teachings of the Lord Jesus. Right? That's what it basically means to repent. Is you're changing your mind about everything. About the way you view Jesus. About the way you view sexuality. About the way that you view the world. About the way that you view yourself. It begins with the change of mind. And you. the Bible says in Psalm 51, David says, Then will I teach sinners in the way. Notice the word teach. He says, I will teach sinners in the way. And sinners shall be converted to you. So in other words, there is a need for the the our message to target their conscience. Because it doesn't matter how loud, like Ray Comfort said, it doesn't matter how loud our bang is if it doesn't reach the target we've missed the point so sometimes people can fail to come to an understanding not because the devil is so crafty although that is a very uh legitimate reason why many don't come to faith but because we are poor communicators because let me let me just say this <clears throat> How successful will I be to preach to an American in in Croatian or Hungarian? It's not going to be really successful because they don't know what I'm talking about. Right? You have to use the language that they understand. That doesn't mean that you have to adopt their vocabulary and start using their slang and and their, their terms, but it simply means this. Remove every linguistic obstacle as much as possible. If if there's anything that I say that becomes an obstacle, that the Word of God doesn't require for me to say, then I'm going to remove that obstacle so that they can plainly and simply understand the Scriptures. So when I'm speaking to a sinner, I'm going to want to lower my vocabulary if they're not intelligent. Uh, not intelligent. There's many intelligent people that are not word smart, um, but they may not have a big vocabulary. So I'm going to lower my vocabulary. I'm not going to say "die to the flesh." I'm going to say um, these old practice, these practices that you're committing. You're going to have to leave that behind and begin to um, accept the way that God tells you to live. Now notice that's a whole lot more plain than saying die to your flesh. Now that's a literal verse in the Bible, but you have to understand that a lot of the people that the New Testament writers spoke to well understood the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament. So they're not speaking to people that are illiterate in the Bible. It's like me going to among the Catholics who know their Bible. I can speak the language because we understand each other. Do you get that? Or if I'm speaking to a philosopher, I can I can begin speaking about uh, uh, informal fallacies and errors in logic. And I can be speak that sort of philosophical terminology because he understands my language. Um. <clears throat> And so, um, yes, that, that's a good example of what, what it means to have an audience that shares the same assumptions as you. Um, 
But notice, but nevertheless, as we look in the parable of the sower, we have four different we have we have four different responses. But the point that but I want us to focus on is this: there are there are more ways you can, there there are more discouraging results than there are encouraging results. The discouraging results are people are falling away because of persecution or choked out by the worries and cares of this life or they don't come to faith because they don't understand. So there are three discouraging results. And so that means there are more discouraging results than there will be encouraging results. But we do it all for the encouraging results that people will come to faith because they will produce either 100, 60, or 30-fold. Why? Because Jesus wants fruit. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, <clears throat> there is uh, one other, uh, I believe it's in James. <clears throat> I believe James chapter 5. Um, James chapter 5 verse 7 through 9. The word of the Lord reads, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too must be patient. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Oh, that, that's it. Just through, through eight. But notice, the farmer is the Lord and he's patiently waiting for the land to yield its valuable crop. So what the Lord what, what does this imply? The Lord, this implies that the Lord values a harvest. And but the harvest is not reaped if laborers do not go out. But we must go out because number 1 Jesus has commissioned us and number 2 we want to please the Lord because it is His good pleasure to see sheep saved. Um, it's His good pleasure to see uh, the satanic agenda routed and and demolished. To see people set at liberty, their sins forgiven, for heaven to rejoice. <clears throat> Another another passage I want us to really uh, quickly look at is Luke chapter four. This is the heart of Jesus. Luke chapter four, um, verse eighteen through nineteen. Luke chapter four, verses eighteen through nineteen. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right? So that's the heart of Jesus. That's why he was commissioned into this world to preach the gospel to the poor. It doesn't mean just financially poor. It means those who are spiritually poor, spiritually destitute, those to whom those who know they need a savior, those who know they want out. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind. <clears throat> I, I recall at 15 or 16 uh, being enchained, being incarcerated, uh, being a prisoner, literally, with shackles on my hands and on my ankles and around my waist, chained up with the several other inmates, being told having all your rights taken from you. You're now property of the state. Uh, my dad had that, at that point no say of where I went, where you know what happened to me. I was literally property of of America. Property of the state. I was just a number now. And yet and, and so I I relate to this in that it's oppressive. But we can all relate in this sense that we were all prisoners to sin. And today there exists many prisoners of sin who don't want to be imprisoned anymore. And it's for that express purpose why Jesus had come. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so... Let me just ask that we turn to one last passage. And this last passage will... So we've talked about the cost of... Um, the cost of entering into the Lord's service. Of gospel service. Of ministry service. And the motivations for why we should want to. Because Jesus was motivated... To set at liberty those who were harassed like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion. And um, and we've seen that in the, the parable of the sheep. The lost sheep and the lost coin. Right? And lastly, I just want to share. And you guys already know this. But I just uh, want to uh, further... Uh, just drive this at home even further. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 4. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Not secondary, not third, not last importance. This is the first importance. There's nothing more important than this right here that Paul is about to share. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve and, and so on and so forth. Oh yeah, that He, that he was buried and he, he was... No, I'm sorry. He, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures that He was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So, Jesus died for our sins, but he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He, he died, was buried, and he was raised. That is the message of first importance. And that is the message that we must believe in order for us to be saved. And so, in fact, Paul says uh, later in that chapter, he says, and 
And verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him in fact from the dead, if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you, um, you are still in your sins. And then he begins to talk about, he says, For if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are above all men the most to be pitied. So the focus is forgiveness of sins and resurrection from the dead. And we will rise from the dead because Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And as Daniel talks about, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust alike. Some unto condemnation and others unto salvation. But my, my question to us is this. Are we desirous to see more people multiplied, more people given, more people who will be raised for salvation rather than condemnation? then if that's the case, there is much work for us to do because Jesus has already told us the harvest is plentiful. Right? And that's the message we preach. That's the message that people are saved by. Um, in fact, I, I, know, I know I said this was last passage, but I want to read one other one. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, beginning at verse 1. No, I'm sorry. Um, yes, yes, verse 1. <clears throat> In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So Paul is telling Timothy, he doesn't just say, I give you this charge, I'm commanding you something. But he says, In light of God's presence and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and remember, this is Paul's last letter. This is the last chapter of the last letter that he will ever write because he's about to die. So he's communicating the most important thing. And this is the charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do you see that? He doesn't say, you know, um, preach up until the point that people don't want to listen. No, in fact, he says, for this reason, you do need patience because people will not listen. It's not an excuse to stop going. It's a reason to keep going. So this message is proclaimed in light of God and of Christ Jesus, of his presence, is of the utmost importance. So do you see why this is 
significant. It's not child's play. We have basically been commissioned to tell dead men, to command dead men to come out of their spiritual graves. So, um, but notice there at the end he says, keep your head in all situations. So it's, it's a temptation to want to lose your head with all of this very demanding and, and discouraging work. Endure hardship. Paul knew that it would be hard. Right? He knew that it would require patience. He says, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all your duties of your ministry. So in other words, there isn't a single duty that should be left undone. It should be discharged. In other words, it should be accomplished. It should be fulfilled. And so it's a duty. It's not, it's not an option. Right? You have been... And and a soldier has a duty. And his aim, as Paul tells Timothy, is to please the commanding officer. And so we don't want to be displeasing to the commanding officer. We want to do the best that we can to discharge those duties, faithfully proclaim, and endure hardship and have compassion on the lost and to seek and save lost coins, lost sheep, lost fish, whatever. You know, whatever analogy you want to use. But the point though is that it comes down to this. Are we willing? Are we willing to continue to fulfill this great mandate, fulfill this great commission? Um so